Welcome to the KeysCast, the official podcast of Keesler Air Force Base. Each month or so, we'll bring you interesting interviews with people around Keesler about topics that are relevant to you. Welcome to Episode 5 of the KeysCast. Hurricane season is right around the corner, and to get you ready for the season, Senior Airman Travis Beal interviewed Matthew Jalufka and James Tart, two resident experts on the topic. All right. Hi, this is Senior Airman Travis Beal. I'm with Keesler Air Force Base Public Affairs, and we're doing a podcast today on uh, hurricane preparedness and weather awareness when it comes to the hurricane season that's coming up. Uh, with us today, we have Mr. Jalufka of Emergency Management and Mr. Tart from over the Weather, weather Ops Building. So, gentlemen, if you could, Mr. Uh, Jalufka, if you could please tell everyone who you are and what your experience is inside of emergency management. Uh, my name is Matthew Jalufka. I serve as the installation emergency manager for Keesler Air Force Base. I've been here at Keesler Air Force Base for about four years now and have been doing uh, Air Force emergency management specifically for about 20 years. Wow, 20 years. Yes, sir. In that time frame, how many hurricanes have you had to deal with? Uh, most of my time was uh, spent in overseas and uh, Europe and Asia. So actually, my first uh, hurricane has been down here at Keesler. Oh, wow. Uh, so I was very uh, new to the area, especially being overseas for much of my military career or inland, I guess you could say. Uh, so over the last four years, I've gotten a pretty good education in, in hurricane uh, preparedness and response. That's great. That's great. Uh, Mr. Tart, so uh, what's your experience and how long have you been here? Um, I've been in the weather career field now for over 30 years. Been stationed along the coast here now since 2001, either here at Keesler Air Force Base as an instructor or I was at Tyndall Air Force Base before I retired and moved back here to uh, Keesler and then uh, took up the lead forecast job here for about nine and a half years ago. Um, had a pretty good background in uh, tropical meteorology. My, my commander at Tyndall actually got his master's thesis done by uh, Dr. Dave Gray at the Colorado State University. Uh, learned a lot under his leadership. Um, direct dealings with uh, Hurricanes. I actually missed Katrina by about two months. I did own a home here at the time. We got about five feet of water, so we had to put that back together. Mm-hmm. And they've had a couple of close, close calls with uh, some some uh, hurricanes that have worked their way into Louisiana and Texas and area. So we've got a pretty extensive background as far as hurricane weather and tropical weather is concerned. Gotcha. Okay. So you've been you've been around the block once or twice. A couple times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so hurricane uh, season's coming up here real soon. Uh, inside of you know, the Gulf Coast and everywhere down south, uh, generally speaking, what do we have to uh, to worry about when it comes to uh, the hurricanes on a weather side? Well, the biggest threat to the hurricane, of course, is going to be your storm surge, and of course, your wind and um, bedded tornadoes. There's a there's a lot to 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 consider when when dealing with the hurricane. Primarily, though, would be the storm surge. Okay. Um, usually does the most damage. So the storm surge, what's so what's so damaging about the storm surge itself? Like what does that entail? It's it's a a big wall of water that is displacing a lot of uh, a lot of area um and when it starts coming in there's really uh, nothing to stop it from coming in except a natural land barrier. Uh an example would be a Hurricane Katrina, even though it was a category 3 storm when it made landfall, it produced a storm surge of 27 feet. So anything under 20, 27 feet uh, um, sea level was underwater. Mm-hmm. So, Okay. So we definitely have to watch out for the, the storm surges. Uh, now, what causes that storm surge? Is it the, um, 
like the hurricane winds or is it just like the movement of the hurricane that kind of pushes that water with it or yes all of the above all, above. all of the above <laughs> um the tighter the storm the deeper the pressure of the storm the more surge that you're going to get with it you've got that swirling mass of wind that is just moving a lot of water um the one thing that was really unique about katrina was when it came in it hit what we call one of the continental shelves. So all that water was pushing had nowhere to go but up. Mm -hmm. And that's what made that storm so devastating. Okay. Now, when you were talking about the uh, the storm being tight and more dense, is that the actual like size of the hurricane or is that just like the eye? The eye wall. The, the eye, eye wall, wall itself. Um, last year was was a pretty in, uh, unique year. Um, I want to say Hurricane Maria is either Maria or Irma was the most powerful Atlantic storm. And you could really definitely see that well-defined eye wall um, in the center of the storm. It was, it was, it was an amazing storm. So, yeah, it's, it, that was definitely a, a very devastating storm to come through. And it was, um, it was amazing to see how much power it had. I didn't realize that, uh, that the density, how, how crisp that eye was inside of a hurricane really kind of gives you an idea of uh, how powerful that storm potentially is. It's a, the central pressure of the storm is, as you can see by the eye, that's where the actual low associated with the storm is. And the lower the pressure in that storm, the more intense that storm is going to be. Okay. Um, so we had uh, Hurricane Nate last year come through Keesler and... Uh, luckily, it wasn't nearly as powerful as what we initially predicted, which was great. What's the forecast for this potential uh, hurricane season coming up? It looks like um, they're going with uh, a repeat of what was la what happened last year. Nothing's really changed as far as the overall atmospheric dynamics okay. um, in the Pacific and the Atlantic. And they under-forecasted uh, last year by about five storms. But there's been a couple of minor, uh, minute changes in the Pacific weather, believe it or not, which has a direct effect on the Atlantic hurricane, where we're more of a neutral flow as in what they classify as a La Nina flow, which was what we were in last year. La Nina flows are, uh, when we have the La Nina on the west coast, it's, it tends to be a more active, active year than when El Nino sets up over, over the Pacific Northwest. I've never heard, I've heard of El Nino, but not La Nina. It's kind of like the sister to that's the sister to uh, uh, El Nino. What happens is with an El Nino year, you've got an influx of extreme warm water displacing itself up into the up into the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. which causes the atmospheric floor to be more uh, up and down as in as versus um, uh, east or uh, west to east. Okay. La Nina, you have that that warm water retreating and cooler waters come down from the north which creates more of a zonal flow, which is allow, allowing less shear in the atmosphere over the, over the Atlantic and creates a more favorable environment. Wow. Um, well, I think I've just been through meteorology school. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> I, a professor I'm, over here. I'm getting uh, definitely some schooling here yeah. on this one. Um, I should so, be taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with uh, Hurricane Ape that came by, uh, with on an EM standpoint, how did we do as a base uh, with that hurricane that came through? Yeah, I think uh, the installation did very well with Hurricane Nate. We had a lot of information, a lot of personnel engaged in tracking the storm and preparing for the storm. Uh, hurricane Nate sort of was all over the place, sort of seemed like, and we couldn't really uh, tailor it down. Luckily, I think for us, it was a lower-end storm. 
that pretty much uh, one of the benefits for us too is it seemed to, uh, as the eye came over Keesler, it sort of died away. So I think it knew that we were prepared and didn't want to do anything else to the Gulf Coast. So, so got scared. Uh, yeah, I think Keesler pretty much single-handedly uh, dismantled Hurricane Nate as it come ashore is what yeah. I would like to say. Uh, but I think overall, I think the people took it pretty seriously. I think some of the ongoing events prior to that uh, sort of made people focus on preparedness a little bit more with, with Houston and Florida and, 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 and places like that uh, that just made people take it a lot more seriously that sometimes you just don't get. So with the uh, the preparedness that we had because of the hurricanes that were hitting you know Houston and Florida, what do we have to worry about when it comes to hurricanes? What's the general's process uh, that we should be able to get you know, X amount of stuff set together off to the side in case of hurricanes. And if so, like, what do we have to do for that? Yeah, I think if anything, the number one thing when we talk about hurricanes, especially here on the Gulf Coast, is be ready, right? Uh, Google be ready.af.mil. And uh, by being ready, it comes in a lot of different forms. That means you need to have a good exit strategy. Uh, a lot of these storms seems like uh, in the past have turned suddenly uh, so in doing that, you need to pre-plan ahead and make sure you've got some place to go. Here on the Gulf Coast, a lot of people will sit here and say, well, I live north or south of 10, and they feel like, well, I evacuate if I'm only uh, south of Interstate 10. Uh, but I think there's a difference between surviving the storm and then operating after the storm. A lot of people in a lot of places along the Gulf Coast can survive the storm, but I think if anything Katrina showed is you probably wouldn't want to operate and be down here after the storm. So the first part of that is having a good exit strategy. Know where you can go to remove yourself and your family from the hazard and be prepared to do that, whether that's in the form of financially being able to support uh, somewhere else, uh, a transportation issue, making sure you can get there and what all do you need to take mm -hmm. all the way down to what if I am stuck here, what are some basic survival things that I need uh, to until I can get out here? Uh, because we one thing we will know is that a lot of basic services can be impacted. So although your house might survive the storm because it survived a Camille and a Katrina, you might not have water or electricity to do that. And, and are you willing to be down here for a week or two weeks uh, until some of those basic services are rendered back. So the number one thing is be ready, mm -hmm. uh, have a plan, uh, have a plan that addresses leaving and staying, and then get kits uh, to support those plans, whichever plan has to get enacted and, and prepare yourself. Gotcha. So you're looking at more of like, okay, if, if you need to reach out to friends or family to be able to stay at their location just to get out of the danger and be able to have a place to stay at, um, that'll be more beneficial than, you know, overall hoping to goodness that the, uh, the water surge doesn't hit you one. And then two, that your basic needs when it comes to water, electricity, you know, heating and your overall, you know, housing unit itself is, is still standing after a hurricane. Correct. And I think, you know, I think the biggest thing is, especially if you have the capability to reach back to friends and family or locations, what a good time to take a vacation in the Smoky Mountains or whatever is, uh, you know, that's the time to do it. Because what yeah. you don't want to do is compound a problem for first and emergency responders and other people who may have to provide life saving for other people. Uh, and like we saw in Houston scenario and other scenarios where, you know, first responders are trying to uh, rescue uh, 
old per, per people and, and old folks' homes and, and hospitals that weren't able to get other people out. What they don't need to be doing is is rescuing people who had the capability to take themselves out of the, the hazard area prior to the event. So, and a, and a way to do that is pre-plan and prepare prior to. Yeah, so it's it's also beneficial, like you said, to, for the people that can't leave. If you have that capability to help free up those resources for the first responders to be able to help them out uh, because they can't leave, they physically can't. Absolutely. So, understood. Absolutely. Um, so with the the hurricanes that are coming in, the the way we do it here at Keesler and across the Air Force, uh, I think DOD is uh, wide as well, quite frankly, is we have hurricanes, uh, which designate you know the uh, potential landfall, if I'm correct, when it comes to the hurricanes coming in. Um, Mr. Tart, could you uh, explain a little bit about the hurricanes and, and what we do and what they kind of stand for and how we work with them? Well, one of the misconceptions about the hurricane condition is it's not when the actual hurricane is going to hit. Okay. It's the onset of when we get 50 knots of wind because that's when the winds start to become damaging. Okay. So we will go into Hurricane 5 four days prior or 96 hours prior to the onset of that 50 knot wind. Okay, so it's not just the hurricane itself, it's the the speed at which the wind is, is rolling. Correct. Understood. Well, again, I mean, if you have, let's say a, we'll say a, a category four storm, which are winds of 113 to 136 knots, mm -hmm. you might get that 50 knot wind, you know, 12 hours prior to that storm, the eye of the storm even and making landfall. It's a solid point. So, I mean, in, in that case, you know, the, the sheltering and, and uh, based on, uh, you know, the commander's discretion and everything, at that point, that's when the sheltering process would begin. Okay. Um, so before before the onset of the 50-knot winds. Okay. So uh, obviously it's all uh, commander-driven as to when evacs would happen. Uh, but how soon, uh, generally speaking, when it comes to the hurricane conditions, uh, when have you guys seen... Uh, a commander like send out a you know evac head out of course it's, it's hurricane driven so if, depending on how strong they are but generally speaking about when in that hurricane condition time frame uh, what number could they be looking at potentially receiving that information yeah so when you talk about the installation and its process for evacuating of course there's going to be different types of evacuation of course you know, you're going to talk about evacuation of essential and non-essential personnel, which include, you know, in different categories like dependents and things. Okay. At any time during a storm, uh, people uh, can evacuate themselves. So uh, they don't necessarily have to uh, wait for the installation commander to, to say you can leave. Uh, so the installation commander, in conjunction with a lot of local authorities, too, uh, our, our sister services located down the road at the CB base in conjunction with the separate counties, will sort of all start collaborating uh, with to determine the impact of the storm and a timeline for the storm. Uh, so the wing leadership uh, gathers with a lot of the subject matter experts from across the installation, and they start trying to get an idea of the timeline. So our hurricane conditions will really start looking to take effect about 96 hours out and start working their way down uh, to a point to when those winds uh, will affect. So you sort of, the wing leadership has to balance uh, the category of the storm. How severe is this storm going to be? And then how soon is it going to be here, which is what the hurricane conditions are counting down to those 50 knot winds. So for example, Hurricane Nate was like a category one hurricane. So we didn't necessarily have to evacuate people out. 
Uh, if you're talking about a Katrina style storm, you know, you want to try to make those decisions sooner than later. Of course. Uh, so you're only going to be as good as your intelligence and, uh, and whether the storm's moving, how it's tracking, how it's, uh, how it's maneuvering across its current path and which model is the most accurate. And it's all really a guessing game. So timeline wise, uh, that's why, uh, you know, you could t anywhere from up to, you know, 72 hours out, uh, as you could only imagine that the severity of the storm will dictate the timeline of course. On, on what it is. So it's real hard uh, to to tell people there will be a difference between a mandatory evacuation from the installation commander to evacuations from the county authorities to the time when people should probably just move out their families prior to, yeah. uh, which, you know, you'll see that early on in a lot of uh, processes when it comes to hurricane response. Your counties, your cities will start encouraging voluntary evacuations because it's better, once again, like we just talked about a few minutes ago, is to move out as soon as you possibly can with the resources that you have so that now uh, your local communities and uh, installation can start pinpointing resources to support those who can't. Yes. So you could probably expect to start looking at uh, the counties. Uh, the cities and the installation looking around, you know, they're looking initially early on about 96 hours out. Okay. Uh, and then all the way down. Uh, of course, the closer you get to that Hurricane condition counting down, uh, the more impact that it's going to be hard to move people out, you know, just due to uh, traffic on the roads and, and people waiting to the last minute to do that. So, yeah, you're looking at the entire you know, Gulf Coast looking to evacuate and head north. So I can only imagine the amount of traffic that's rolling through that they could uh, potentially hit. I can speak on my own, uh, through my own family's experience when uh, Hurricane Irma came through. And they didn't hit us. However, there was a potential of it coming our direction. And my wife got, got nervous, which I don't blame her, quite frankly. I mean, the last thing, me being public affairs, I am a person who can't leave. So I can't go with my wife and my family to uh, to evacuate. I can't make sure that the, everything's all right with them. So she took the initiative to head up north. And she took a three-week vacation. There you go. <laughs> I there mean, you go. Yeah. she's uh, she's a stay-at-home mom. She's been doing great raising our child. But um, she took a three-week vacation, drove up to Wheeling, West Virginia. And next thing you know, I mean, she's having a good time with my mom, my dad, you know, taking my uh, – showing them our daughter. And it was a it was a great time for them. And then they eventually came back down. And then, again, it happened with Hurricane Nate, like you guys were talking about before. There was that un unsureness of – whether it was going to be a hit big hurricane, if it wasn't going to be a big hurricane, if it was going to hit us, if it wasn't going to hit us, where it was at, and she didn't want to play that game. So she pulled chucks and left with a, a friend of ours who lived right across the street, and they went up to Barksdale, uh, and they went to the Barksdale Air Force Base up there because they had a friend. And four hours later, they were safe and sound, and luckily Hurricane Nate wasn't anything too crazy on our side, at least when it hit Keesler. We did have some damage at the marina, and a couple trees went down, but luckily nothing crazy did happen on our side and yeah, the uh, marina always gets damaged during these storms yeah i'm, I'm <laughs> assuming that uh because it's obviously inside the water and has to deal well, it's, with it's all at the, sea level it's at sea level so. okay um so uh but yeah i mean this it was a great experience for them to get out and it it really helped me as you know a father and a husband to know that my family is safe out and not having to worry about them uh, the potential surges that could potentially hit you know base housing and such and i think that's one of the biggest challenges for for our military members 
is, you know, a lot of times whether financially or whatever, they're hesitant to to take that little uh, shortened vacation, uh, unexpected vacation, uh, maybe to financial reasons um, or, or other reasons, work reasons or whatever it may be. And they really wait for the wing leadership to give that mandatory evacuation, which uh, will uh, allow them to receive some benefits uh, from from that mandatory evacuation yeah they get some reimbursement for right. that correct uh, but i think that's what each individual has to do is they have to and that's what what's good about pre-planning and making sure that you're you're planning before so that you know how how you're going to be able to to do that because you you know you don't want to wait at the last minute uh, i'm not saying you got to have a an address and a phone number and a parking spot yes. uh, but at least have an idea that hey there are some locations i can go there are some families i can go I don't have to make anything hard and fast, but I've got an idea where if I need to enact something quickly, I can do it and not have to, you know, make it up uh, as I go along yeah. uh, to do that. Because that's very important. It allows, uh, if there are members uh, and personnel left back here at Keesler, knowing that their families are safe and secure, they can focus more on the mission and the recovery of Keesler Air Force Base so that all people uh, can come back and continue continue the mission. Of course. Uh, looks like you had something to say, Mr. Tart, about uh, about heading out. Well, again, that was uh, you know a, a good point that that Matt made. Um, you know, two examples. Again, we're gonna we're gonna use recent memory here. Katrina, base evacuated. You know, with uh, Nate, I want to say we actually sheltered in place. We did. Yep. Yes, that was so, exa- that's what I remember. So I mean, it's again, it just depends on the storm. Um, Best thing to do at this point is just you know stay abreast to you know what 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 the base is putting out and what your your local communities are putting out your county and your your city reps are putting out as well. Yeah, we'll definitely have to uh, keep up to date, and at the end of this, we'll make sure we'll actually do it now. Um, when it comes to uh, stuff getting out and getting yourself prepared, you made a comment about be ready. So what does uh, what does that website help out with? Yeah, so uh, the Air Force has its own Air Force Emergency Management, be ready.af.mil, Google be ready.af.mil. And uh, you can find a lot of preparedness information, not just about hurricane and tropical storms, but also about man-made hazards, natural disasters, uh, terrorist uh, events, and things like that. But probably the most important thing that I would encourage people to do, especially in a diverse community like what you see across Keesler, where we have people uh, coming from Hancock County, Harrison County, Jackson County, uh, go to your local community uh, county web pages, uh, get in contact with your local emergency management agency, and find out where, first off, where you live at. Is it located in a plane? Uh, when they talk about uh, evacuation zones here on the Gulf Coast, what does that mean? Uh, most of your counties have GIS web pages, which is uh, a mapping software and are maps of the different evacuation zones that you'll see here on the Gulf Coast. Okay. Gulf Coast. Because it's very important to know that just because you're south of Interstate 10 or north of 90, uh, that due to a lot of the rivers and, and, and storm surges that we have, that even things north of Interstate 10 will flood with a lot of the Biloxi rivers and the... Uh, Chutica Bluff or Chutica Bluff or whatever that Chutica Bluff river, that uh, river is. A lot of these local rivers will also flood and can impact in, uh, roads. Yes. Uh, which by you know if people are starting to get flooded out, like we saw in uh, Louisiana also, and Houston, uh, people start trying to leave. So uh, go to those county web pages, find out where your your uh, your house 
is at in, in relation to a lot of the different flood areas. Uh, that what will happen on the Gulf Coast is they will start evacuating by different zones based on storm surge. Uh, so some zones might be uh, evacuating, others might uh, might still be in play depending on what they believe the storm surge is. So knowing where your your home is and what zone it is, and then having that extra strategy. So work with your uh, go to your local uh, county webpage and look for that emergency management information. You can also go out to ready.gov. They've got a lot of information. Uh, and then, of course, your county web pages will also start posting out shelters. So although you maybe you live south of Interstate 10 and you want to evacuate, but you don't want to go all the way up to Barksdale Air Force Base or, or West Virginia, uh, you might just want to go North Van Cleve. Yeah. Uh, so uh, check your county web pages to see listing of shelters, and they will include everything from uh, handicap accessible shelters to personnel shelters to pet shelters. So your county web pages will start be putting out a lot of the information. And then, of course, your local media outlets will be very engaged and pushing out a lot of that information for local authorities also. Yeah, I know our local our local uh, media sources, WLOX, Access Fees, Unherald, um, being the top three that I can think of off the top of my head, they, they do a great job at keeping everyone up to date, uh, both web and through TV shows and the, their applications. I mean, they do a great job at that as well. So, uh, Mr. Tart, when it comes to weather, uh, where's the best locations for us to, gra- uh, to gather information on um, hurricanes coming in, you know, any information on that side? Of course, your local media is gonna is gonna have a, a, a play in the situation. But uh, National Hurricane Center webpage is a, is a good information uh, site. Um, there's also a place out there that uh, it's, it's funny. It's called Mike Spaghetti Models. Type in <laughs> type in Mike Spaghetti Models, and it it takes everything that National Weather Service is putting out, National Hurricane Center is putting out, and some of the uh, other uh, weather sites, and it just puts it all together in one page, and you just you can sit there and just screen over what you want to see and what you want to look at huh. it's a pretty a pretty informative page i know uh, matt's looked at it a few times and uh, but i would i would venture to say is, is especially uh here at keesler is just pay close attention to what uh, leadership is putting out um local media we uh if we are going to be impacted by it, we uh, produce what we call the keesler hurricane bulletin um, and normally, if a storm is going to be in the Gulf and have an impact on Keesler Air Force Base within that 96-hour period, we will start issuing it. Okay. And it will be coming out every six hours when we start to issue it. Is that an internal product, or is that something that's, that uh, external resources could, uh, could grab? It's, it, it's pretty much it goes, through, it goes through the whole base. Okay. It goes to the base populace. So it sends out through an email? Right. Yes, sir. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah, I know from a PA standpoint, uh, we do our absolute best to push out as much information that uh, we receive from you two as well when it comes to uh, evacuation routes or where to head out to, uh, when the base is being evacuated, if that is the route uh, that's going to happen, when the hurricane's coming in through hurricanes. Uh, we also push out that information through uh, the base application, through our base website, keesler.af.mil, uh, along with our Facebook and Twitter pages as well. Uh, if you just search up Keesler Air Force Base on either Facebook or Twitter, you can find us there. Um, but yeah, we do our absolute best to push out that information to help out you know the local community, whether they are military or not for that matter, because quite frankly, I mean, we are a very tight-knit community when it comes to Keesler and the Biloxi, Gulfport, D'Iberville, Ocean Springs area. We're very tight-knit, and we want to keep each other informed with as much information as possible. Another good uh, resource for, for your uh 
local news and and uh, radio stations is that uh, they will also let you know uh, through the county or the city is when the bridges are going to be starting to close down. Oh, that's a solid point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So, so, uh, so generally speaking, when the bridges close down, uh, you guys have been down here for a little while, a little bit longer than what I have. Um, what happens on that side? Like how do, do they have to leave prior to those bridges leaving or closing down essentially? If they don't leave prior to that, then they're essentially stuck in their location if there's no other route out. Exactly. So that's another good reason to, you know, push yourself and have an understanding of, do I need to make the decision now? Am I going to ride out the storm and, and really kind of look at, uh, be prepared for every situation that's possible. Um, generally speaking, are we looking at, uh, like food supplies on the EM side. Uh, are you looking at food and water for roughly three days, if I remember right? Yeah, or? so what what we encourage people to do is a 72-hour kit. Okay. Uh, and that will encompass basically everything that you think you're going to need, and it's going to be situational dependent. Uh, of course, food and water are the most important uh, things to have. Medications. Uh, you have medications that you need medications. to have. Uh, I remember being uh, stationed at Kadena Air Base in, in Okinawa, Japan, and we would have t- typhoons come in, and we would be out power for two to three days. And it wasn't the food. Uh, it was the entertainment. You know, uh, if you have small children, uh, especially today, uh, it was very – it a small little generator, just about enough to, I think, do the refrigerator, a fan, and a DVD player uh, because uh, when the little ones start uh, getting bored, it becomes a problem for the whole family. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, uh, you know, at that time it was uh, Barney and Teletubbies and SpongeBob. So, you know, uh, whatever you think you're going to need to sustain your operation for that 72 hours or, or even longer, depending where you're at and devastation of the storm that's why we talk about it's it's not necessarily whether or not you can survive the storm a lot of the structures uh, uh down here on the gulf coast are designed uh to certain category level storms mm-hmm. uh but it's going to be what's left in the local community after and and the utilities and and the resources you have available of course you know like you saw it at katrina uh, you know, there wasn't water available, electric, you know, gasoline. Uh, so a lot of people survived the storm, uh, but being able to operate and, and, and as you normally would on a day-to-day basis is not necessarily going to be the same. But in the 72-hour kit, the basic things that you need to survive and operate, uh, food, water, medicines, entertainment, uh, you know. Uh, like even like a small solar charger. Uh, yeah, I mean, these are the kind of things you can do like now. Is, batteries. Is, uh, batteries, good point, you too. You know, uh, stock up on those things. Uh, try that. You want to do a family fun weekend, try that uh, on a weekend. Yeah. Go to the kids and say, hey, we're shutting it and living off the grid for the next, uh, you know, just do 24 hours and you see how that works out. And <laughs> multiply that times uh, three or four. Uh, I'm not the best in math, but whatever comes out, do that. So I think if a, if a family did a 24-hour off the grid, they would probably get a good idea idea what they need uh to do that maybe we can start that as a campaign you know yeah. a 24-hour prep uh off the grid campaign yeah. that doesn't uh, mean to charge your time. phone beforehand before yeah. you go out there yeah just... <laughs> yeah so those are the things you look to have in a kit okay beautiful yeah like you said it'll all to be dependent so like of course my my daughter is a, a little over a year and a half so we'd have to pack a bunch of diapers for that wipes right and, uh child's toys i have a dog and a cat so we'd have to bring cat food dog food cat litter all that all that stuff to really think about you know what the animals also need along with what we need ourselves right and i think you know that's an important point i want to talk about pets just for a minute because we get a lot of phone calls about pets we get a lot of questions about pets uh a lot of communities will establish pet shelters 
So that's very important to find out in your community. Get with your local emergency management agency office and find out what they do for your community as far as for pets. Will they establish a pet shelter? Will you be able to shelter with your pets? Uh, because that could lead to your plan. You know, if you're not interested in having your pet at one facility and you're at another facility or maybe your county doesn't really have a pet-friendly uh, shelter, mm -hmm. that might lead you to have a different plan to to go to Barksdale or yeah. the nearest La Quinta Inn or whoever's going to take my pets yeah. uh, or West Virginia or wherever I need to take them uh, to, uh, to take my pets. So once again, pre-planning. Uh, knowing what your specific situation is, your requirements are, working with your local community to find out what resources they have available, uh, and then making a plan that best suits you. Yeah, because I mean, we both, we all saw what the devastation that happened with, uh, with Texas when that hurricane came through, and how it shut down essentially everything. Everything. For, I mean, gosh, what was that over two weeks? Right. One of the largest cities in the United States was pretty much crippled. Yeah. I so, mean, so it, it, to think that it, it can't happen to us just because we're down here in Biloxi is, I think, a little naive. So we definitely need to, something we all need to think about, you know, okay, what do I need to have? And I mean, my wife and I can speak on our own cases. We have uh, one of those giant plastic tubs and essentially we just have our stuff in there. We have uh, three gallons of water. We have a little bit of uh, canned food, uh, some, some food for our dog and our cat and a couple ready-made items. So that way, if you know, something's coming in. We don't have to scurry around the house. It's already inside one of those large plastic tubs you can pick up at any supermarket, even here at the, the base exchange. You can pick those up for cheap, very cheap. And it's just a grab, throw it in, the, and then head out. So it's uh, it's definitely very beneficial for sure. And I think the thing that when you're building these kits and, and when you talk about hurricanes and, and response and preparedness, it's very individual. Yes. Uh, if, if you are here after a hurricane and everything around you is devastated, your house is flooded out and you're stuck on the roof, that was an individual decision and you're going to suffer individual consequences. So, you know, as people work through their process of identifying what they need to do to be prepared, uh, it's very individual, you know, uh, not, you know, the thing like a tornado that goes through and devastates an area, you get a lot of resources in there quick, uh, because they like a tornado is very specific where it attacks is where you see something like a storm surge and a hurricane Katrina we saw in Houston and areas like that, that it, the devastation is so widespread that you are literally on your own. If you decide to stay in those kinds of areas yeah. for quite a while, of course. Uh, and so you need to take that into consideration on your specific individual uh, plan on how, how would you survive and operate and protect you and your family and things like that. in that kind of scenario. Yeah. Well, speaking of, I'm sorry, as you were, um, you know, to tag on what Matt said too, I mean, talking about a tornado, tornado comes, it's gone. You got first responders there immediately. A lot of instances, the first responders may not be able to get down here for a few days. Yeah. That's a good point too. Um, roads might be washed. Bridges might be stuck in there. You know, the drawbridges might be stuck in their upright position. Yeah. You don't know, but, um, debris on the roads and everything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, but I was actually going to ask, you know, with, with the tornadoes you were just talking about, is that a possibility with hurricanes? Or is there a possibility to have like spurts of tornadoes inside of there? Oh, absolutely. I want to say that uh, with Katrina, there were in uh, just north of Keesler, Keesler and uh, Harrison County, there were about 27 tornadoes associated with that 27 storm. 27 tornadoes. 27 tornadoes. My goodness. Um, I mean, it's I was a, I was up north when that happened, and I mean, we got flooded. I was, like I said, I was in Wheeling, West Virginia. What was that 2008 when that happened? Is what, it? Katrina? Yeah. 2005. Five. My apologies. I was in high school when that happened. Yeah. And, Man, uh, that guy's young. Yeah. 
28 gonna be 29 this year um but either way i was in high school and that happened and i mean we had flooding up there and it had to travel all the way through from the southern end of the united states all the way up through the up to the east coast where we are and my brother's house got flooded up in wheeling west virginia from a hurricane that hit down south um we luckily didn't have any tornadoes but um it especially with the season coming in and we had a tornado warning not too long ago um here at keesler and, and i mean it's, it's kind of nervous nerve-wracking when you sit there and and think about you know the power that mother nature has and and kind of the respect you have to give it because uh, it's nothing that we can control but we can only prepare ourselves to get out of its way as that, it comes through i, I want to uh, actually want to say that uh, with tropical storm cindy last year i mean it made landfall in louisiana spawned three tornadoes in uh, Harrison County, actually ripped through uh, Beauvoir over there, uh, Jefferson Davis's old home. Oh wow! So that is right. Yeah, I forgot about that. You are correct. Yeah, it came through right on. It was a was a water spout. It came in came as on? water, but it actually it actually stayed on the ground for about two miles after it made landfall. Wow! And I think that's interesting. What you were talking about being in West Virginia and flooding out and things is when these storms come through, they typically would do sort of like a northeast type movement. So I have a sister that lives in Atlanta. And that might not be my number one spot to go to because, like you just said here, some of these storms will continue inward and and put quite a bit of water and rain down. Uh, so looking at places sort of north and to the west or maybe even having a couple different options is ideal for a lot of different people based on, on what meteorologists will tell us the path of the storm will be. Because even places like your Hattiesburg, you know, a lot of people get in this misconception that, well, if I just go north of 10, I'll be good. Maybe I'll go up to Hattiesburg. Well, if Hattiesburg's getting 20-something tornadoes, uh, you might not want to be staying there. You might yeah. want to try to move out a little bit. And the installation itself will typically put in some uh, ranges uh, when they order a mandatory evacuation for their personnel, uh, which could look something like, uh, not specifically, but, you know, uh, 150 miles away, but no further than 700 miles. So yes. there, there will be, you know, the idea that when the commander uh, – does a mandatory evacuation that they're looking at you just to go to uh, Van Cleve or D'Aberville is uh, they're actually looking for you to go, you know, 100 plus miles away from this area yeah. uh, to do that. So people need to keep that in mind, too, uh, when they develop their their evacuation plans or their exit strategy is one, you know, try to have a couple different places, you know, put up that rainbow across the Gulf Coast and and look uh, look to go in a couple different places, depending on distance and the trajectory of the storm that may be projected. And, you know, like uh, like Matt said, um, just because you're going as you know far north as Hattiesburg or depending on the intensity of that storm, it, it might still be a hurricane. When it gets to Hattiesburg, yes, it's going to start to weaken and weaken rapidly, but, but depending on the storm, that thing might still be packing hurricane force winds when it gets up that far it's, north. Yeah, that's very true. It didn't, uh, Maria, when when they came through and, and devastated Puerto Rico and then hit Florida, I mean, it was a hurricane for a fair bit riding up Florida. I mean, I was actually kind of, if I remember correctly. It, it, but it was it was hugging the coast, so it still remained over water. Oh, okay. I, I so, thought it actually land, it hit a little bit more inward on yeah. the land. Than it was. I mean, it was right, right hugging the coast. And the models were actually doing pretty well on that one. It was either west coast or east coast of Florida. And people are going, well, it couldn't decide what. Well, you're talking the 
Florida Peninsula here. It's yeah. not a very wide not area, uh, uh, you know, landmass there. So yeah, the models pretty much kind of tagged that one. Oh, okay. So they did well. I love how the meteorologist says it's pretty close, left or right of Florida. Uh, <laughs> I think it depends on where you're sitting at on the left or right of Florida. Yeah, exactly. There, but only a meteorologist says it was pretty close. Um, it was a hope. Divine Tad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Five hundred thousand people may need to evacuate or not. Or not. <laughs> Well, soon at five o'clock. Yeah, we'll let you know at five o'clock. Yeah, then too. Um, so, with the meteorologists, uh, now we have the hurricane hunters here on base. Uh, how how beneficial are them to understanding what's going on to, uh, you know, what's going on with a hurricane and its projections and everything? Uh, I'll tell you, when I first got down here, I I was kind of skeptical about uh, the hurricane hunters. I think, oh, you know, my mind says that we've got all this technology, we've got satellite technology, we've got all this buoy data out there, we've got microwave tech, we've got everything going on right now. And the one thing that I did, did notice about when the hurricane hunters started flying that mission is you will see a gradual coming together of the models um, because they will actually be able to pinpoint that center circulation, um, get an exact, you know, what we're talking about here is let's say it's a half one model has it a half a degree off another model well you space that out over five days yeah that's cutting you know you're looking at a, a big area that's anywhere okay it will now hit anywhere from brownsville texas to uh destin florida you know it's pretty much encompassing the whole gulf when it's out down there in the caribbean but when yes. they actually pinpoint that low circulation and all the models can sit there and say okay now i have a starting point you will all you'll just start to see them gradually come together and um they are extremely beneficial to the to the national hurricane center's mission so. uh, have you guys have any of you guys been able to go out or have any uh you know thoughts of going out with them out to on a hurricane run? no <laughs> and no no <laughs> i wouldn't mind doing it but uh going out on a mission with them but um i don't there would be a lot of paperwork involved. The, oh, I'm sure. The national, uh, <laughs> what the Weather Channel actually did a series a few years ago uh, with them, and they had to do a lot of uh, jumping around to just to, to to fly with them on that. Yeah, I'm sure they would. I I kind of thought that I'm kind of surprised about your answer. I figured you'd want to hop on there. Be oh, I'd love to, here. but I'd, it's is it going to happen? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> oh, you know, we all have dreams, right? We so. need you to take Dorothy through that twister. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's no place like Keesler. There's, There's no, no place, place like Keesler. <laughs> so and and believe it or not they actually say the worst part about flying the storm is when it's um when it's get when it's forming and when it's falling apart oh really because that's when that's when you're going to get the most turbulent and the most wind shear uh, because it's not as consistent, consistent exactly throughout. so exactly. you're kind of getting cross uh cross winds a lot of turbulence vertical wind shear horizontal wind shear um updrafts downdrafts but then you when it's full-blown and at its intensity and everything everything is pretty much uniform throughout that storm a, a hurricane believe it or not is a very delicate animal um it cannot take a lot of wind shear every the winds have to be uniform uh, all the way up in the, that column of air and uh, circulation has to be uniform you start getting let's say you get some dry air moving into it that's going to rip it apart uh you get winds coming out of the west just above it that's going to shear it apart so it's it's a very delicate animal but when it gets going it's it's going okay um so. I, I i didn't realize how delicate the hurricane was i mean you think of this this huge mass of water and air just rolling through the gulf coast and you're like man this thing's a monster i didn't realize well, how delicate that was well that's why we right now that's why we like to see all these fronts that we've been getting coming through because 
you know, with the with the rain and the thunderstorms that, that that we get associated with that frontal boundary, that would actually rip apart and shear off uh, a tropical system. Also, oh, all these uh, heavy winds and rains we're getting are, are good for us. Good for us, as long as they continue. As long as they continue. <laughs> uh, not for my boating, though. That's yeah, I know. It's just, I don't know if you guys go fishing or not, but that's not no. really good for fishing. No, fishing's working. Well, just before a front is the best time to go fishing. <laughs> so. um, when it comes should be a beautiful weekend this weekend, though. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. It's that's good. I'm excited for it. Today's uh, Wednesday the 25th, just in case anyone's right, hearing this So you on. may or may not be right. <laughs> no, it's going to be a beautiful weekend. If it is All wrong, right. make sure you contact Mr. Tart. That's right. <laughs> in case the weather office. Um, so do you do either one of you guys know how they, they gather that information through uh, the hurricane hunters? Like, what do they do with that? Do you happen to know? What they do is they have what is called a drop sound. And what it is, is it's a basically a, a tube about two feet in length about two inches in diameter and um they kick it out the the back end of uh, that that c-130 and when it does a parachute deploys and as that parachute is falling it's collecting wind speed central pressure temperature and dew point and it's transmitting it back to somebody who's sitting on the actual airplane itself and he's gathering the information and and putting it in, into a format and then he's kicking it out to the national hurricane center Oh, so they direct they report directly to the National Hurricane Correct. Center. Correct. They get their marching orders from the National Hurricane Center. The National Hurricane Center basically tells them what missions they're going to fly. Oh, okay. So, I did not realize that. I mean, I, I kind of assumed they had some input, but I didn't realize that they were. They well, had of course they would. I mean, if it. all the planes are broke, they can't fly. Of, so. of course. <laughs> <laughs> but you're saying that they can't just go off the wind. They yeah. have. To, they have to have a propeller. Yeah, they have to. Yeah, it's not a glider. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, they um, um, and like I said, as that's falling, it's collecting all this meteorological data, and then uh, they put it in a certain format, and it's called a, a recce code, and they kick it over to the National Hurricane Center, and based on that, the the National Hurricane Center will put together their bulletins, which you've seen, yes, and then send that out to the public. Okay. Well, that's uh, I mean that's neat. I didn't realize exactly how they do it. I, I I've seen pictures of them. Uh, showing a little tube thing that they, or a cylindrical thing that they've dropped down a tube, but I didn't realize what exactly happens after that process. That's and they usually fly, fly an X pattern in the middle of the storm to get that central circulation. Like I said, that's that's the reason why they're they're in the middle of that storm is to put an exact pinpoint on where that low is. Oh, so they drop it into the eye of the storm Correct. versus the, the outer side of the storm. Uh, I, I want to say it's a combination of both. Okay. But primarily, it is. It, it is in the, they're, what they're trying to do is when they're flying, doing those drop sounds, they're trying to pinpoint a low circulation in that storm. Gotcha. So they're yeah they're playing uh, tic tac toe more or less, trying to figure out where it's at. Pretty much, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, that's that's essentially all that I had for you guys. Is there anything that um, that I didn't hit on, or that you something that you'd like to to push out? I mean. I would say from the emergency management perspective, we just you know encourage people to be ready. Uh, because if you are ready, you don't have to get ready. So be ready. Af. Mil. Uh, you know, make sure you have a kit and get a plan and be ready. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'd like to mention too is in the near future, we haven't set an exact date yet, but we are going to go through the Keesler Hurricane Awareness uh, briefing. Um, that is uh, sponsored by. Matt's shop, and they provide a lot of information, a lot of good information. So we'll definitely keep an eye out for when that day comes through. 
Um, I'm sure it'll be sent out through emails and uh, we as Keesler PA will push out, you know, on Facebook, on our website and on the application uh, when that date is. So that way everyone who's associated with Keesler and has base access or will be able to come in and at least gather that information to help better prepare them for this upcoming hurricane season. Family and spouses are highly encouraged to come. Yes. Right, right now they're scheduled for the week of uh, May 6th. Okay. Uh, we'll be uh, finalizing the exact times. Uh, and what we will have uh, at the hurricane briefings are functional uh, expertise from a lot of the different functional areas across the installation, medical, uh, JAG, legal, uh, I guess that is Jack, uh, finance, <laughs> uh, you know, so these functional experts will actually come in, provide a briefing to give people more information to help prepare themselves uh, for the upcoming hurricane season. Uh, so currently right now, planning for the week of the 6th, and we'll push those out uh, as we finalize those dates. And, and it is open to uh, everybody, uh, dependent spouses, uh, military members. Uh, Essentially whoever, everyone who has base access. Has base access, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, that's great. Well, I appreciate you guys coming down here. Um, so that's all we have for today. Uh, tune in next month for the next episode of the Keyscast. Uh, again, I'm Senior Airman Travis Beal. I'm Matt Jalofka. And I'm Jim Tart. Uh, thank you for joining us. 